Aloha and welcome to the uh, Big Island Hawaii Ultra Podcast. This is episode number four in which we interviewed uh, Sarah Stover about her writing career, her running career, and her time on the island. So again, this is the audio version, so uh, please do enjoy. And if you want to uh, help us out, you can go to www patreon.com forward slash Hawaii Ultra and donate the price of a cup of coffee per episode if you can. Mahalo. Aloha. We have Sarah Stover here. Aloha. Happy uh, Saturday. This was, this is uh, Easter weekend Saturday and yep. this would have been uh, the 39th annual Macathon. Uh, 5K, 10K race down in Honau now. And One of my favorites. A beautiful race, very deceptively, don't you think? Uh, uh-huh. Looks flat, right? Yeah. But is it? And it's hot? Yeah. Uh, my first time running that race, I remember running past like the corpse of a cow <laughs> <laughs> and being like, where is this taking us? It was a, yeah. That cow corpse was kind of embodied my whole Macathon experience. It's funny you mentioned that because that's been my, uh, you know, you know, we're in the midst of this uh, COVID-19 thing everywhere. And one of the things that they say is you lose your sense of smell. Okay. And, and there is a dead pig up on Manaw Road from last winter, basically, from like months ago that you had, hadn't smelled it in months and the weather got a little bit warmer and it's like, oh, no, nope, still got a sense of smell. <laughs> That's a good sign. So like, well, it, would be, could, it would be nice to like have it, like you could turn it on and off. Like <laughs> that, turn it off. Well, that would, that would be asthma, which I have too. But <laughs> so where were you raised as a child, Sarah? You're back in upstate New York? Upstate New York which I would like to take this moment to explain to people that when I say I'm from New York, I lived seven hours away from New York City. Like this lovely background you have of like the, the farm country and the cows and the horses, that is, that is a lot like where I grew up. Only uh, there was snow and it's a lot flatter. Um, Rochester, New York is where I'm originally from. And then I, um, I went to school in Buffalo. People don't always know Rochester, but they seem to know Buffalo. So that is where I like, that's where I was until I was 22 years old. So Buffalo was the nearest big city or was there another? Rochester is actually a city too. And so there's Rochester and Buffalo. They're comparable cities. They're notable for different reasons. And in between is just really farm country. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, vineyards. I, went to, I went to school in uh, Minnesota and stuff. So when you say Rochester, I'm thinking of Rochester, Minnesota. Right. Most people don't think of Rochester, New York. Uh, yeah. Do you have brothers, sisters? Uh, what's your sibling situation? I have a younger brother, Aaron, who's a tattoo artist in Philadelphia. And Ooh. my sister, Becky, lives in Massachusetts with her husband, Daniel and they have a little girl. My brother has a little girl too. Um, and my sister is a therapist for, um, she's 
is she a therapist, life coach? Um, I think technically she's a, considered a therapist for um, people who have learning disabilities, autism, Asperger's, who are getting into higher education. So they're smart enough to get into college, but they don't function well in like classrooms. Um, so yeah, they're, my sister's very intelligent. My, my brothers are both very intelligent. My brother's incredibly talented. If anyone needs a tattoo, when we're allowed to do that again, yeah. Yeah, I actually don't have one, oddly enough, but um, my parents are in North Carolina, so the funny thing is that I was the last person in my immediate family to leave New York, the state of New York. Oh. So the time I moved, they were all like, why did you stay so long? Everyone was like, snow, cold, nah, I'm out of here. Yeah, well, I actually, I, I used to have a girlfriend from North Carolina. She was a, a preacher's uh, daughter. And uh, when I interviewed Jacob, he, I didn't realize he was, he's from Tennessee. And he's, he said, like 30 minutes away from uh, where they do the Barclay. Oh, cool. You know, so that's good. So, but you're, I mean, your background then is rural. It's not big, you're not a big city girl or anything like that. No, I don't do well in big cities. <laughs> I really don't. They're fun for about like two days. And then it like, I think I'm too ADD to be in like a big city environment. What do I look at? Lights, people. <laughs> Squirrel. Yeah. Yeah, definitely so, ADD for that. When you were in high school and stuff, were you on any teams? You know, did you play soccer? Uh, yeah, I actually have been swimming since before I could walk says my dad he had me in water babies uh, supposedly i was swimming and talking before i could walk um but my dad put me in water babies and i was just like water babies and swimming lessons and then eventually swim team um and running was just like something you did at the beginning of the season as part of like conditioning at, when i was on the swim team so, so you, you kind of had a heads up on triathlon. Did you do triathlon when you were in high school? No, nope. I didn't run other than what my swim coach told me to run. Although the cross country coach was always on my case to go out for cross country because, um, you know, they make you do like the mile um, mm -hmm. once a year, yeah. president's challenge or something at some name like that. Um, and I guess I ran fast enough for him to want me to go out for cross country. Um, but all my friends swam and, I, and that was all I, like, all I did. So I, I was like, why would I run? No, I'm a swimmer. <laughs> so. And uh, swimming, at least, you know, um, now I have some background in uh, people that I've known that have been involved in the Olympics, in fact. And uh, it's very competitive. Were you competitive when you were swimming or? I wasn't. I really just was like, I've just always swam. And I was like the kid who would get in trouble because I was talking to all my friends. Like we were, it was supposed to be like, okay, 15 seconds on the wall and then go again. Okay, 15, you know, like you're doing like, you're doing these, I don't know, training sessions where you're supposed to be like not letting your heart rate go down. And I'd be like talking to my friends and my coach, who was also my next door neighbor, um, oh. Debbie Harding, would be like, Sarah, zip it. 
So yeah, I was definitely in it for like the socializing um, and just a lot of my friends swam. So it was just like, oh, that's just what I'm doing. I mean, I pushed myself, but like pushing yourself when you're actually having a meet is one thing. Like when the gun went off and I was off that block, I would push myself, but I was never going to be one of the best swimmers because during practice, I was goofing off. <laughs> so when you uh, did you go to college yeah i went to uh state university of buffalo suny buffalo oh suny yeah 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 and swimming there too nope i i did not swim competitively there um i got in the pool every once in a while because you just could it was at the fitness center um but i really just focused on um, on uh, like I, I didn't even really have. I think I worked ten hours a week. Didn't wasn't really part of anything extracurricular except for um, campus crusade, and then just focused on my studies. I was really like I had a plan, and I was out of there in four years, and I was like, no, I don't have time for anything else. I, I'm I've got this like life plan, and I got, I need to be twenty one. I'm out of here. Uh, that's that sounds like a good plan that uh, I, I was probably a little bit the opposite because I went to college until I was 26. I ended up with a couple of degrees and stuff like that, which have done me no good whatsoever. But, you know, it was experience the college uh, lifestyle for as long as possible. Yeah, I think you mentioned that when I interviewed you for a runner click article, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it's it, 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 now I can claim well that was so long ago I can't remember some of the stuff that uh, I but I have it documented somewhere <laughs> it was funny Alex was saying that she was texting me uh last night about uh her and Billy were watching uh the the band you know Robbie Robertson and those guys and I kind of went now nah, I'm not going to tell her the stories that I can tell her about those guys <laughs> not yet Either Look, the wrong wait for when I write a book about you, then it'll come out. No, 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 no. Remember, this is about you. This is about Sarah Stover. So we'll write a book someday about you. Speaking of writing, quick, I mean, for sure, you know, uh, talk about the stuff, the articles that you've had published, the publications you've worked for, uh, okay. your blog. Yeah. So um, what I did go to school for was English. Um, and really, I have, I can say that I've known, not that I wanted to be a writer, but just known, like, I'm a writer, I'm a storyteller, probably since I was 10 years old. Uh, somebody gave me a little notebook or journal or something uh, when I was 10, and uh, I started, it, it, it it was like kind of like my diary, but then I started like fabricating things and making up like, like there was like, an, there was like Sarah real world. And then there was like, but what I really imagine is that, is that there's like this Sarah out there who's having these adventures. So my, it was supposed to be a journal, but I didn't, I was, I kind of let my imagination run wild because nobody was ever going to see that. And I had like all these made up things in this journal um, and went to school for, for English. 
so that I could study all the renowned writers and learn from them so that I could be a better writer. Um, the first yeah. thing I asked, you have a couple of favorite writers, uh, Mark Twain, definitely yeah. Mark Twain. Um, I, I love, uh, Louisa May Alcott and Ella Montgomery. So the Anna Green Gables books and little women and, um, trying to think who else, uh, what is this? Patrick got me into this guy. Hold on. Hunter Thompson. No, no, it's like, this is this is my I didn't know about him. I don't know how you say his name. Pa Paola Coelho. This, ooh, can you see? He wrote like um the pilgrimage, uh the alchemy book. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah degree in English here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, another English degree person. So um it, yeah, uh, who else? I'm trying to look over at my bookshelf. There's Mark, there's four Mark Twain books up there. Shakespeare. I love yeah. Shakespeare so much. If so, Shakespeare was indeed one person, but anyway. So when you, how did your writings, what, after you were doing your journal, you know, and, and then it kind of developed into more fiction, a little bit more yeah. fiction in there. What was the next stage of your writing that you, you remember back? back uh, in the you actually, it would then became poetry. Um, oh. Yeah, and I was in middle school, and um, I think it was like Desert Storm was going on. And oh God, I'm old. Yeah, I must have been like in seventh grade, and everybody in seventh grade like decided one day that they were gonna like have a protest, like in the '60s. They were gonna go protest, man. Okay, and so I remember thinking like you guys are going to like all get up and march out of your classrooms at the same time. And like, how is that going to accomplish anything? Who is the president? Are you going to make it onto the news? Is the president going to pay attention? And you know what? I'm going to pull out troops because those like 110 middle schoolers just protest and it protested. And I remember being like, this is so dumb. And I didn't walk out. I stayed in my, I was the like probably the only kid who stayed in my classroom because I was like, this doesn't make sense to me, so I'm not going to do it. So, but I stayed back in the classroom and I wrote a poem about what I thought it would be like to be there and be one of those soldiers. Oh. And um, my and English teacher was school, like, right? "Yeah, my English teacher was like, why? What? What are you doing? Everybody marched out." And I was like, "Yeah, but it's a waste of time. They're wasting their time." Um, I was like, "I wrote a poem and I showed it to her, and she got it." Um, somehow she got it published in the local paper. Oh, wow. And that was kind of like this aha moment for me where I realized like I reached more people and uh, I don't know, like made a difference to a certain extent than everybody else kind of following the leader and being sheep. And I kind of went like, okay, I'm 12 years old, but like I can think for myself and and I can write these things that, like, I can get through to more people by writing things that matter. Um, and yeah. I, I, that was kind of like my, like, oh, this is my vehicle in, in the world. This is my platform. You realize that you had a louder voice through the medium that you were actually using. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then the rest of, and I didn't, 
never wrote that thinking, oh, it'll be in the paper and everyone will hear about it. But here were all these kids who were hoping they'd get on the news or have somebody write about what they did in the paper. And here I am like, well, I just wrote this because it was in my head and that's what ended up in the paper. Wow. Yeah. So when you got to college, did you stay with the poetry or did you just... Poetry, writing plays, um, of course, papers are, if you studied English, you'd know that's such a huge component of getting your degree in English, write papers about what you read. Um, but yeah, on my own and because it, I had assignments to do so, I was writing short stories, poetry, um, uh, yeah, and uh, a, a couple plays I wrote. Um, so that was, and I did it all in four years. Like I, I, I only planned on four years. And uh, yeah, I stuck did to that. Did you ever have a, I can still remember we did a, uh, a middle English, an old English dinner at uh, one, oh. of the, one of the English professors' uh, houses and stuff where he went over and made food. And he somehow back, back then, uh, found mead, so we, we drank mead. No way. I keep telling the B-Boys that that should be the next thing. We've discussed this. There needs to be Big Island mead. <laughs> we can t we can tell we can get a hold of Alex and she can talk to the winery. Where oh, yeah. Maybe they can, they can join forces. We have friends who brew beer. We know that, too. So there's oh, always... Cool. Always an opportunity. So when you were in college and stuff, did you were you uh, too busy trying to get through college and that? Did you have uh, boyfriends, girlfriends that anybody I had my first boyfriend in college? Yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, sophomore, most of sophomore and junior year, a little bit of senior year, but he went away uh, to he. Joined the Air Force when I was a junior, I believe. Um, so it was long distance, and then he broke it off. But not before he flew me out to Monterey, California. So, yeah, I got, like, my first real, like, I, I, I got on a plane and flew somewhere by myself. That was the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then uh, what is it? So what did you think when you got into California? I know because it was military, you were probably just, you know, hanging out in the, at the, at the military base and stuff. But uh, actually, uh, the boyfriend was at school. Um, he was going to be like a translator and he was at school during the day. Um, so I like and I had a hotel room in town. So I would just go like I would take my backpack and my journal, of course, like my probably it was probably like my 93rd journal at that point. Um, and I would go, I found some like cool coffee shops and, oh. um, and I would just go and like take out my journal and, or walk down to the pier and, um, and then go to the coffee shop and like did a lot of sightseeing and writing. Um, and really I couldn't like see something and not like open my journal and write about it. Oh, wow. Point, I, my journal was actually factual by that time. <laughs> <laughs> so the different change in weather, too, I imagine, even yeah. depending on what time it was. Yeah, I even thought about going to grad school there. I loved Monterey, California. Oh, it's beautiful there. I mean, it's, yeah. it's gorgeous and stuff there. 
So after California, well, after college and stuff, then did you go pursue a, um, like a newspaper career? Um, no. And you know, it's funny. Um, a lot of people ask me, oh, what are you going to do with an English degree? And um, people kind of flat out told me, well, if you're an English major, you can teach or you can um, work for a newspaper. And, um, and I, I just kind of like in my gut was like, there has to be more that I can do with this. Uh, so my first real job out of college was working for, this is not very glamorous, but it was the Northeast uh, Professional Insurance Association. So it's like if you were an insurance salesman or agent, I guess is what they prefer to be called. Um, they all belong to this association. And I worked in the marketing department and I wrote all the press releases. Oh, and um, I wrote um, copy for the website um, for different landing pages. Um, can't remember what else I wrote because it was like 20 years ago. Um, but I was like, okay, this isn't like the coolest thing to write about. But within a year of graduating from college, I was getting paid. I was like, I knew there was something else I could do besides work for a paper or teach. Yeah, and they paid you money, right? Yes, yeah. It was cool. And I moved from Rochester, well, Buffalo, to Albany for that job. Uh, so it was about okay. a four-hour four hour difference. I was about four hours from my family who was still in um, Rochester at that time. Um, but I was like, I, I was just excited that people were, like, I didn't really care what I was writing about. People were paying me, like, to hand them words. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, really. Did you have side projects at that time? I know, you know, there's your job and it involves writing, but was there stuff or were you working on a book? free time, this is when I got into running. When I moved to Albany, that's what I started doing in my free time. Um, in fact, the first 5K I ever did was as uh, it was part of the corporate challenge team. This insurance association um, put together a team and all the different businesses in Albany, like they do this 5K and compete against each other. So that was the first actual race I ran. How did it go? Um, I, I just remember thinking that it was fun. And I think I ran it in like, like soccer shorts and like a cotton t-shirt and but, but I but I liked it I thought it was like it was like whoa it's like a party only everybody's like moving and I was like I, I, I don't know 22 probably 22 oh, um, wow. and I had run a little bit the summer before with friends when I was working at a hotel um, worked at a hotel when I graduated from college before I got that um, other job and so like, I knew, I think I was like, okay, I've run as much as five miles. Um, but I didn't know what I didn't really didn't know what I was doing the night before I hadn't, I think I ran like five times before I did that 5k. It's <laughs> training, <laughs> right? Over the court. Like I was like, I know what's coming up. I know what's coming up. I should probably go for a run. And I would do that like once a week. So was running a way of getting out of your head or into your head? Uh, so other than that 5k, I realized rather quickly that I didn't like running with other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. like I liked being like, okay, there's something on, uh, you know, I have this and I did other 5ks after that one. I think I did two or three a year, um, for a while. 
And I liked having like a race on the calendar and knowing like, okay, on this day, I'm going to be running with a good bunch of people and I, I will be like in, I'll, I'll be prepared for that. But most of the time I just wanted to run before work to just get in like, like I don't get focused yeah. um, and be ready to write because when you're writing, that's a lot of just like, you have to be still for extended periods of time. Yeah. Uh, and that was really hard for me. I love writing, but I also have a lot of energy. So kind of running kind of like calmed me down enough that I could sit and write. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because I can remember still that for me, uh, you know, a lot of people say the best ideas come in the shower. For me, it was it's always, fun. yeah. And for me, it was yeah. always running. It was when I was able to, everything else went away and I was able to focus on mm -hmm. How yeah, that was another um, aspect of it that I really appreciated and I think pushed me to run by myself. And, um, and I felt really bad because there were um, people would come in and out of my life who would be like, I want to go running with you. And I'd run with them and I'd be really annoyed because I was <laughs> I'm like, I can't think when you're next to me talking. And I was like, oh, not everybody runs to think. But um, it really was my time to like, uh, like calm down, but also I worked through a lot of things. I came up with a lot of ideas uh, while I was, while I was running. Yeah. Well, I had a partner, uh, she would always do, we do the basalt Colorado half marathon and she, Becca could talk the entire race. Which, which I, I took that as a, a easy out for me. I didn't have to say anything. In a race environment, I'm talkative, but if it's just my like daily run, I don't want to talk. I want to just like, let me go in my little zone and let me think through things. I have this idea. I need to process it. Stop talking. Patrick's great to run with. Like I could really run with him, but like the three times I've run with him, he is, I think he reads people. He's very happy either being quiet or talking. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I, I can see. No, like, oh, she's like, She's putting a blog together in her head right now, so I'm just gonna be quiet. It's 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 great to be around people who have what I call I call it situational awareness. Yeah. Instead of the focus necessarily just being on them, they can actually realize well, there's other things going on. There's other people and stuff. Yeah. They're they're okay to be with, but I, I I'm like you. It's like just going out for runs and stuff. I need that time just by myself. Yeah. And like, if I see, like, I'll see you on um, on a road, and I'm like, cool, that was a fun little like commercial break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very well put. I like that. Yeah. yeah. But then I can be like, okay, and now I can like get a selfie with Joe and be on my way and go so, back in my head. How did you go up from five Ks? Did you start doing ten Ks, half marathons? Uh, so I started working at a marketing firm. I left the insurance association and there was this guy there, Marathon Eddie. Hi, Eddie. I'm going to make you watch this because I'm, I'm giving you a shout out. Um, Marathon Eddie, who would like travel all over during marathons. I remember he like, he went to Honolulu and did the Honolulu marathon and we were all like tracking him from the office. Um, and he convinced me to do a 15 K. So I jumped from 5K to 15K 
And it, here was like my logic. I was like, well, I will go out the next two weekends and see if I can run eight miles. And if I can run eight miles two weekends in a row, then I'll sign up for the 15K. Uh, so, and I think I was at like four or five miles and jumped to 9.3. Um, and so I signed up and it, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. It's um, in Utica, New York, which is just like podunk, like kind of the beginning of the Adirondack Mountains. Oh, yeah. Shot down the entire like town, city. It's very industrial. Um, like if not industrial, it's like industrial, but rural. Uh, anyway, um, it's a weird town, but they shut it down for this race. And it is, last I heard, it was the biggest 15K in the U.S. or oldest. There's something. Wow. Well, that's a fact, check that, fact check this. There's something about it that it's like, it's famous. It's called the Utica Boilermaker. And it, it Wait, ends. Are Boilermakers involved? Yeah. Well, it's like the Utica boiler plates are like. Oh, the, so there weren't beers with shots in them. No, but. Saren it ends at the Saranac Brewery. Oh. And they give you Saranac beer at the end, and there's like a band playing and thousands of people. It's like it turns into like Woodstock, only with runners drinking at nine in the morning, music <laughs> playing. But while you're doing the race, um, every mile or you go through all these neighborhoods and all the neighborhoods are competing to be like the most spirited. Oh, wow. Because they want the runners to vote. It, they win a block party if they're the most, like, fun neighborhood. They go crazy. A DJ's set up in, like, someone's lawn. Other people are, like, handing out beer at, like, mile three, popsicles. <laughs> like, there were belly dancers. There was, like, a, was a like bunch of guys in tilts playing bagpipes. And then people dress up in costumes in the middle of July. It's... It's people, people are crossing the finish line with beers in their hands and it's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. That was my first 15 K. That was like when I graduated from five K's. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And so far up until that point though, you'd been strictly road runner. Uh, yeah, just road running. When did you find our trail running? Did that uh, come actually it was, well, no, I did a couple trail races, but, but it didn't stick because I got into triathlon. Um, but my first trail race was called, was, uh, it was called the Indian ladders race. And I remember like I ran it, it um, in probably like Saucony grid stables or, you know, just like a road shoe and 15 K through these trails. And at one point, we ran through mud and my shoe got like sucked off my foot. <laughs> yeah. And like there was another point where like we were grabbing tree branches to pull ourselves up the side of a hill. And I thought I was like, this is so much fun. Like, <laughs> so obviously like you have to like, you have to, there has to be an element of fun or I'm not interested. Like there has to be like guys playing big pipes or something crazy like <laughs> I don't know, ropes or beer. Um, beer. Um, so I did that. And then I think the same people who put that race on put on a, another one that was like a 10K that I did. Oh, no. I did 
ex-Tara had a trail race and triathlon in Lake Placid. Oh, okay. Uh, and I did not the triathlon, but I did the trail race, which was also a 15K. And so and then you were actually biking and doing that stuff? No, they did like the triath. They did like the trail race on Saturday and the um, triathlon on Sunday. Oh, okay, okay. And it, I, think, I think they only did it for like a year. But that was another one where I was just like, this is so much fun. We're just like running through the woods and like, and I met some people from like Quebec and ran with them. And, oh. um, and I, like, I, I know why it didn't, I know why I stopped doing it and triathlon came into my life. Um, but I remember like a lot of times when I had moved on and I was so into triathlon, I would like daydream about trail running. Like my oh. heart, my heart was always in trail, in trail running. My heart was never really in triathlon. Did you do your first marathon as part of a triathlon or? Just um, a I did my first marathon after signing up for Ironman Lake Placid because I realized, oh no, wait, did I? No, I did Lava Man with my first triathlon in 2009. Yeah. Um, and then... That was in March, and by June, no, by July, I was doing, I had done a half. I, uh, it was called uh, Muscle Man in the Finger Lakes in New York. Well, I kind of heard of that, yeah. Yeah, another fun one. Um, you run through a vineyard at one point in that race, and you're going past, like, all these Amish farms on your bike. Uh, I don't even know if it exists anymore, but um, after I did that, that half iron, I went, like if I could do a half iron, I can definitely do a marathon. Like yeah. that was my logic was like, if I can propel myself forward for that, for, I think it took me six hours to do that first half. I was like, I was moving for six hours. I can't, surely I could do a marathon. Oh yeah. And, um, did Hampton beach. Uh, it was like the smutty nose. What is it with me and the beer sponsored races? <laughs> I mean, it's, it was Fun called yeah, the Smutty Nose uh, Marathon in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. Oh, okay. I want to say that was 2010. Oh, okay. But yeah. You, you did Lava Man, so in so 2009? Yeah. So why did you come to Hawaii? To do Lava Man? No, you were here like in 2004, weren't you? Yes. I started coming here in 2004. Um, I was married before just someone whose parents had a condo here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we would come here to visit them and, uh, it's, it, it, we would like come here and hear about all these races and, um, and heard about Lava Man and that turned into me racing Lava Man. Um, I think someone just dropped off my new yoga mat. Oh, awesome. I see the box. Saturday um, delivery. Hey. It, this quarantine thing has me like so excited about dumb things like mail. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, got, I, I got my digital digital thermometer today after having ordered it a month ago. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> yeah. As it, like things take forever to get here anyway, and then you throw this into the mix. Um anyway. What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, there's a lava man coming over here and starting to, you know, experience Hawaii. I mean, 
gosh, I'm surprised that you and I haven't didn't run into each other since you were here that that far back. Yeah. Yeah, although we might have, and you might have, like, just known me by a different name. Uh, also, like, when I was here, the first couple times I came over, we were still here to visit family. So, like, I was oh. doing races, but I wasn't hanging out with the athletes, really, until I met um, Brie and Kavika. And, oh. yeah, and they got, like, once I met them, I was kind of, like, Sorry, I know I'm here to visit you guys, but I have these new cool <laughs> friends and they're going on this like run adventure. So bye. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, you did up to marathons then and you've done some trail work. Mm -hmm. What's the long, what's the longest uh, run and trail run that you've done? Are they one or the same? Or? The longest trail run I've ever done is well, like on my own 16 miles. Um, yeah. But a half marathon, but um, I always wanted to do like a 50K trail race, but I found trail running after I kind of like retired from triathlon and from Ironman. And I started running on trails again because of my injury. So like, it makes me kind of sad actually that I like, I'm like, Man, if I could go back and tell like 30-year-old Sarah, like throw this whole triathlon thing out the window, yeah. just do trail running. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get past like half marathon either on roads or trails. Um, I don't know if like my body will allow me to do long distance again. And it doesn't matter what like surface I'm running on. So when yeah. you were doing triathlons, how many uh, you did? Have you done a full distance Ironman? On Ironman Lake Placid, three times. I did it three times in four years. Um, and in between was doing like it was like Ironman marathon, Ironman marathon. I think one year I did thirty races, triathlons, and road races in one year. Oh wow! Yeah. And can you want to talk about the injury, what happened, or you want to just move um, on? Sure. That? Yeah, actually, um, I've learned not to call it an injury because when you hear injury, you think something that you can heal from. Yeah. Um, I have a condition in my hip, and um, this is where I'm going to plug Ryan Godfrey at Change the Game Performance Therapy because he's changed the way I'm thinking about this. Uh, so I have a, basically, it's like a bone spur in my hip where your hip should, so like your hip should sit, sit in the socket, but like picture that this is my thumb is this bone spur, so it won't sit right. Oh, okay. So if you're running over time and your hip is not lined up in that socket, um, it causes all sorts of imbalances. Then you start compensating. Um, and then it's actually caused it there's cartilage in there that it's worn it's wearing away my my labral my labrum yeah um, so i have a little bit of a labral tear in there um but that's what the mri show and that's what every doctor keeps like pointing out like well you knew this and you kept running anyway you shouldn't have you sh as soon as you saw that on the mri you should have stopped running um but since working with ryan um, he's really like taught me that I could have, that, that could have been there forever. 
There's people who have that their entire lives and it never causes them issues. Yeah. They might have it in their shoulder or their hip or wherever. Um, and it never causes issues. So his thought is that when I notice pain, because I saw that MRI, I think that's what's causing the pain. He thinks it's just years and years and years of um, neglecting stretching, neglecting strength training, only, only like swimming. So going like in the, I, I was always in this one plane of motion. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just ha have all these imbalances and compensations because of it. That is, that visualization that is that is I I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean he, he had me do a squat and he was like, "Look at the way that knee caves in and that one doesn't and that one goes over your ankle." And he was like, "That has nothing to do with the joint. That has to do with muscle imbalances." <laughs> so he was like, "No wonder it hurts you to run. If you ex when you run, you're exaggerating those like." You're exaggerating one-legged squats and lunges. So if I'm not balanced um, when I'm just standing on one leg and then I, I ask my body to then move fast and far with that like terrible form, no wonder I'm in pain. <laughs> so, well, you haven't been sold on a certain shoe will fix that? No. In fact, there is a blog um, that I, I've worked, I didn't work with Ryan on this blog, but he wrote one himself about how if there was a shoe that fixed people's problems, everyone would be wearing it. Oh yeah, well, and every shoe manufacturer will tell you it's their shoe. Yeah. And what do you what are you running now? What are you basically? Uh, right, right now, I'm running in uh, New Balance. It's like fourteen something, fifteen something. Um, my favorite shoe ever, though. They do not make anymore the New Balance Bazi Summit, and it's a trail shoe. But I actually oh. ran on roads with it because it was so like it fit my, it, like it it was like made for my foot. I loved that shoe. I bought like the last three pairs on eBay. <laughs> that, really, I think they were the last three pairs because I've checked and they're they're gone. Yeah, I did. It's called New Balance. Make them again. I did that with the original Clifton's where and I, and they were, they changed the model and stuff. And it's like, I actually went to Melissa down at big Island running company. And I said, you got any of those Clifton's left? And oh yeah. Them. I was like trolling eBay. Like, I, yeah, they don't make, I called new balance. I was like, do you guys just happen to have any? And then they didn't. Um, so. Yeah, I ran for a lot of years in new balance cause they were the only manufacturer that made a four E I have a white foot. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I went through the 889s and 990s and a bunch of other ones. Okay. What do you yeah. have? As, what do you have as far as any other equipment that you use on a regular basis? Do you use uh, any uh, pack or anything like that? You know, that's your. Uh, I use a I use a Camelback. Um, I don't. It's like a one. It's like a medium size one. Um, and I haven't ever gone far enough where I've needed anything bigger than that camel. It like comes halfway down my back. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just Camelback's the brand. I don't even know what, like, it's the name of the actual pack is. Um, what else do I use? Socks, any particular, do you need, uh, wear in Gigi socks or? Uh... I wear right socks. Oh. Like, I love them. I think I got them, like, I had a pair that I ran, or, 
pad for hiking. Yeah. And they're like double, they're like the anti-blister sock. Yeah. I, they're just, yeah, it's W-R-I-H-T, W-R-I-H-T, right sock. I love them. Oh, okay. And uh, when you, uh, does it bother you to run, uh, well, again, this is, I, I feel bad. We're rubbing it into uh, everybody else in the world. Does it bother you to run in hot weather? You know, having been No, no, actually like between my hip and just well for a lot of reasons I had a really hard time running in the cold I had a hard time breathing my hip would bother me I never seemed to loosen up um and I I I'm weird I like running in the heat oh yeah me too I mean I was uh, raised in the midwest and went went to school in Minnesota so yeah it's like such a treat to run like I'm like when we lived in Ali Drive last year, I was like, this is so awesome. I could just go out in like shorts and a sports bra and run. It's like so different from what I had in the Northeast. I mean, when I did, when I was training for the Boston Marathon the first time, my last long run was a 20 mile run and it was high of three degrees. <laughs> yeah. And I hated, I was so miserable. I just, cold makes me miserable. I, I don't like it. Have you done Boston? Uh, I did it once. I did it in 2014. I did it the year after the bombing. Oh, wow. That must have been very, very emotional. It was, I crossed the finish line with some women who were not able to finish the year before because they were pulled off the course, met them in the middle of the race and ended up, I'm, I like, I make friends in the middle of races all the time. Um, ended up hearing like their whole story about what happened to them in 2013 and then crossed the finish line with them, holding hands with them. We're all oh. crying. Oh. Yeah, it was really cool. That's very, very special. Did you Tony, write it? I kept in touch with one of the girls, Tony, and she just got engaged. Congratulations, Tony. <laughs> did you write anything about that, though? I mean. Yeah, did I did. Somewhere there's a blog about it. Um, I'll have to find. I, that was on, like, my old blog, and I wrote about that whole. Um, it was the the theme that year was take back, taking back the finish line. Oh yeah. 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 And, um, and I had tried to qualify for Boston before. And I really like, I, I felt like I was supposed to be part of that one. I was supposed to be part of taking back that finish line. Um, even if that's, I never do another Boston marathon. I'm so grateful that that was the one I got to do. Oh yeah. That's, that's really special. Wearing a red or no, a, what color tutu was I wearing? I think I ran in a, oh my gosh, I knew, I know I ran in a tutu, either like a blue tutu or a black one. And, oh, perfect, yeah. perfect. Nutrition, what do you use for nutrition? Uh, I, um, I was a honey, well, when I needed nutrition, now I don't run that far, at least not right now. Um, honey Singer Chews, um, yeah. I've had a lot of GI issues. Um, I'm like gluten intolerance and other things. Um, so I found that really the only thing that I could take in that wouldn't come back out was um, <laughs> honey stinger chews for, um, for running and then, um, scratch mix oh, yeah. for just for electrolytes and then flat Coca-Cola if I'm doing Ironman. Oh, okay. Uh, for, the, 
for Ironman Lake Placid, it's two loops of everything, two loop swim, two loop bike, two loop run. And that second loop of the run, I would have in my, I had like a Nathan handheld fuel, the, uh, yeah. Nathan fuel, whatever. Uh, it's not a fuel belt. It's the handhelds. The bomb, yeah. Fuel belts drove me nuts. Um, and I would have Coca-Cola that I had let go flat in that. Well, it's funny because the whole Coca-Cola thing, I mean, been the aid station director for like 20 years, it went through a few cycles. Originally, it was uh, all the athletes wanted, the Ironman athletes wanted it flat. Yeah. And then it turned around for the last 10 years, probably, or eight to 10 years. They want it fizzy because they want oh. something that they can belch. Oh, to make that. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Sometimes if you're running, you can just tell you're like, if I could just burp, I would feel so much better. Yeah. Of course. Now, once you get into the heavy duty trail running, and I'm sure Bree has probably told you about this, it's called uh, uh, earn, earning your tie. It's where you go off onto the trail. And I, I told this a couple of times before about I doing Rocky, Rocky Raccoon uh, last year. I still in the middle of the night out on the trail running along and all of a sudden from the darkness you hear and somebody throws up in yeah. the darkness with that. You earn your tie when you do that. Yeah, I it always came out the other way for me, which is really <laughs> inconvenient because you can like puke in the bushes, but like yeah. other things you really shouldn't do in the bushes. Um yeah, I just uh, kind of yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, when I, I, other than honey stinger and scratch mix, I made a lot of my own stuff. So I would do salt potatoes. Oh yeah, yeah. On the bike when I did Iron Man, um, and then I would make my own Rice Krispie treats, but I would use peanut butter and honey Ooh. instead of marshmallows and butter. Ooh, that yeah. Sounds, that sounds really really tasty. And those are really like. It, it had it had to have like super simple ingredients otherwise i couldn't digest it oh pb and j yeah uh i blew in the bread. oh gotcha yeah. yeah um i learned that training for my first triathlon i was like why is my stomach upset every single time i do a long ride or a long run and it was like everybody else around me was like oh you this is what you bring peanut butter and jelly and so yeah. It took, it took me like the first couple months of training to realize like, okay, just because everybody else is eating that doesn't mean it's going to work for me. And I didn't know why. I just knew it upset my stomach. Yeah. So what do you think the triathlon season, since you have been in triathlon, what do you think the triathlon season is? Is it going to, you think it's going to happen the rest of the year? I mean, so far we've had, I had to cancel two of my races, uh, the path races, uh, Lava Man, Jerry just, I think, made a wise decision, and she canceled Lava Man. She didn't try to delay it. Uh, and Macathon would have been today, so uh, that was just canceled. And the next race, technically the next race coming up would be Kona Marathon in the middle of June. Yeah. And I still, I checked the webpage this morning, and Brent hasn't posted anything about it being okay. delayed. Okay. And Honu got canceled in June, first week in June. Do you think they're going to be able to pull it off? I mean, there, there's a lot of qualifier races that are stacking up before October. So yeah, that's the thing. I feel like if it's a race like Macathon, if it's a race like that, where it really kind of just attracted like the local crew, I feel like, okay, perfect example. Like 
This is not really triathlon, though. I was going to say, I think Kau will probably happen. Oh, okay. Um, I August, think, yeah. I, no, actually, I think that's the end of September. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the Mana tents in August, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, even that, I feel like races like that where it's not, people aren't really traveling to Hawaii for that race. Um, and maybe we'll all be allowed out of our houses by then. <laughs> I don't feel like those races, I don't see a reason why if, if people are able to go to work, then they should be able to do those races too. But uh, triathlon's going to be hard because of all, like so many people aren't just doing a triathlon for the sake of doing it. They're doing it to qualify for something else. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know how you work at, I feel bad for those race directors. I would not want to have to figure that out. Yeah. What if this is the year that they finally just have Kona just for Kona and it's not because of championships? Haven't they been talking about that for years? Saying uh, have a rotating, have championships move around? Well, uh, what, they, what they did eventually was is they developed championships uh, in Europe, the European Championship, uh, South or Pacific Championship, and right. it, was, it was more to – to promote races, to be honest, so that people could go to a championship. Right, right. And stuff. A few years ago, uh, I don't know, I guess my NDA would be gone by now, and I don't think it's uh, that big a secret or anything, but they were trying to have Honu to be the half Ironman World Championship. And we got together and talked about whether we could pull it off because it couldn't, it wouldn't be, would have to have not been in June. It would have had to have been more around October, the regular Ironman. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's one thing they could do is they could move the date. Oh, um, boy, that'd be, that'd be tough, though. I mean, right, because then you're starting to get, well, and then also I, um, Boston got moved to September. So yeah. although I, there is some overlap with people doing Boston and Ironman, but maybe – no, actually, yeah, a lot of people yeah. would have done like Boston would have been their start of their year, yeah. and it then and then they would shift gears and start focusing on getting ready for qualifiers and then Kona. You know what I would love to see happen with this? I just have this feeling they're not going to be able to pull off Iron Man because they can't. Nobody can qualify, which will it will be really sad for one reason. Well. Me personally, it will be sad because my friend Danny Arnold, who is my twin, oh. um, even though we are 20 years apart, our birthdays are one day apart. And if that, oh my gosh, I'm just going to say this right now. You need to interview Danny Arnold and you'll be like, it's, it's Sarah, only a guy. Um, <laughs> he is my, really, if you talk to him, he's, he's more entertaining than me and he has better stories because he's 20 oh. He finally got in through the legacy program this year. Oh, wow. So I will be so, so sad. And he was going to show up like in time for both of us. We were, he was like, I'm going to come early so we can celebrate our birthdays together. Um, if, the, if, if they cancel it, that I'm going to be really sad. Like, tw what do you have to do? 12 Ironmans to get into the legacy program? Yeah, and they've already said it. If the race is uh, in October and if it, if yeah, it and I was there for his first Ironman ever. I was there when he started this whole thing, so it was going to be really 
epic, like I wasn't doing Iron Man yet, but I was there when he did his first Iron Man, and I then I was gonna be there for him doing Kona. Oh. So it's gonna be there for like the start and like the big accomplishment. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, so I will be very sad um on a personal be note because I want Danny to have that experience. But also, I would love to see people like still go out and do Iron Man and do it like ha like old school. Be like, well, they're not making. Yeah, it's like you, back when there weren't sponsors and there weren't volunteers. I would love to see people just show up and be like, let's just like let's go back to our roots. Like, well, what do you what do you think about now? Now because of the COVID nineteen and stuff, a lot of people are doing virtual races. Yeah. Fact, they just had Iron Man's got their whole series now where they do a virtual race. And I saw that uh, uh, Rennie didn't win because Tim unplugged the, the cord on her uh, treadmill. Oh, and, yeah. my gosh. And then Jan Ferdino, I think Jan is doing a, uh, a, an event, a virtual event for charity, too. So what do you think about doing virtual races and stuff from you personally? Uh, I think virtual races are an awesome idea because I think a lot of us really need um, something beyond, I mean, there, sure, there are plenty of people like my husband who just runs to run. And if there was never another race again, he would still be running. But there are a lot of us who like races were, we, we need that connection. We need a, something on our schedule to work towards. Um, to look forward to, to have a, like a purpose for getting up and working out, um, and virtual races or even virtual classes and workouts are giving people that way to stay connected when we feel very isolated right now. And they're, it's giving people the motivation they need. Like I have this class scheduled and I know all my friends are going to hop on zoom and we're going to do this strength training class at the same time. I have this virtual race scheduled. Oh, and then there's the charity aspect. If you, um, if you integrate that into this whole mix, doing something for someone, some, something that is bigger than you, someone that is, has a more dire situation than yours. So I think these virtual races and classes and um and and then the charity aspect of it are i think they're going to get a lot of people through this yeah i'll put a plug in for uh the sunset 5k which we had to cancel as part of lava man where janet which I love. janet has uh, and grant uh, from uh, bike works have put out their 5k challenge anybody who you can oh i'm running bike works yeah very good. You can you can do a 5K this uh, anytime this month, and then post it uh, online and use hashtag I think BikeWorks and uh, Lava Man and okay. 5K. And they're gonna they have the awards they already got. You know they they were ordered. They got them in and stuff. So they were gonna do a drawing then to hand out mugs and stuff. Okay. People and stuff. So plug, plug for those guys. And yeah, yeah. there are local, there are friends, you know, basically is what it comes yeah. down to. Yep. Not speaking of your husband, we'll, we'll ignore him, but you helped coach, didn't you? Uh, last year, year before last? Um, yeah, well, actually I was a triathlon coach, even though I'm not certified in any of like any capacity, 
Um, I helped coach um, triathletes back when I lived in upstate New York. Um, I didn't know that. Wow. And then I coached, well, Patrick coached track for Kona Waina. And then I just, I was always at the meets. And that turned into David Wilde inviting Patrick and I both to be his assistant coaches for cross country. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about Patrick. How did you meet Patrick? Okay. I um, met Patrick on Instagram. Oh, um, no, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, Bree had kind of transitioned from triathlon to trail running at the same time as I had. And we had stayed in touch um, since I met her in 2009. Just oh, and just to uh, interrupt a little bit, uh, in case people don't know, we're talking about Bree Brown. Who was Bree Wee at the time that I met her, yeah. Um, and I'd stayed in touch with her. Whenever I would come to the island, she would like plan all these awesome like run adventures or invite me on whatever rides and swims she was doing, even though like I couldn't keep up with her. Um, and so she and I really like bonded on another level over exiting triathlon and getting into trail running at the same time for different reasons. Um, in fact, I was at her last Ironman ever. I surprised her and, uh, flew to Texas for the Woodlands. Um, and so she had been saying like, oh, I'm going to, start doing like trail ultras and we would talk about it. And then I would also like see everything she would post on Instagram and she was running with this, like all these, these crazy guys. It was like <laughs> Patrick and Mikey and Billy. And I'm trying to figure, I can't remember who else she would, maybe J E yeah. the other Patrick, Joe Barsha. And I would, I was like kind of following along as she was like, okay, I'm going to do my first trail race. Okay. I'm going to do my first, uh, trail ultra and then um it kind of became well like i was talking to her but also following this and um at some point mentioned to her that i thought one of her training buddies was cute (laughs) and um which one was it was it joe who was it it was patrick um, I mentioned to her that I thought he was cute, but I had also started following him on Instagram and just, he would post like these beautiful, like these pictures of like where he ran and then he like whatever deep thought had popped into his head or poetic notion would be like the caption. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I love the way this guy thinks. And I, I love how he's like so inspired by nature and, um, and I thought he was cute too and mentioned it to Brie and then told her like, I think I said, by the way, your friend Patrick's hot, but don't tell him. <laughs> she of course turned around and like told him. And, um, and he then mentioned to her that he had been reading my blogs. So we'd been secretly like, I'd been following him on Instagram because of Brie and like admiring him from afar, he'd been reading my, he started following me and reading my blogs and admire, admiring me from afar. Um, like, I think he's the only person who's ever read every single one of my blogs. Um, and that, that is how I ended up coming to, to Oahu 
in 2018 in January because I knew I wanted to be, be there to see Brie run her first 100 mile race. Sure. Um, but then I like, I started talking to Patrick through Instagram message and then on the phone. And then I was like, okay, well, I have to be, I have to meet this guy. Um, so yeah, I met him in person the day before he ran her. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy and smoke. he had put me on his crew at that point. I didn't realize that. So it was kind of a, a mutual stalking situation. Yeah, like I would say admiring. Um, I just like, I would look forward to what he would post and I would be like, oh good. I was, so, I, I knew he'd be running this weekend. I was hoping to see like what he would say. And he was kind of doing the same thing with my writing. Like, uh, you know, he, we were telling this, we were telling each other this after the fact, like, I've been reading what you write like for months and you really inspire me. And we both like mutually felt inspired by the other one. Very cool. And so that's only two years ago, right? Yeah. Wow. Um, it's gotta be um, meant to be then I would think. Yeah. Well, it's funny. like looking back, we had all these mutual friends too. Yeah. They were people that knew, like, and there were races that we both did, but like for whatever reason, we we didn't meet or we weren't there the same. Like, the one year he missed, I think I did Macathon and then he did it and then I did it and he had he was in Pennsylvania that year, but like David Wilde, Sarah and James Reeser, Bree Kavika, all these people knew of both of us and we kind of like knew of each other too um but it wasn't until 2018 that we actually met oh wow wow that's uh, true love so so yeah. to the dudes out there who who may be watching this there you go dudes just you you can actually meet the person of your dreams out on uh, instagram as long you as can. you can and here is my biggest tip I, I, and Patrick will say this in his own words. Um, so I, if you interview him, we'll let him speak for himself. Um, I am convinced that you cannot meet your soulmate until you're in love with your own life. And I was very intentional for all of 2017 about what would a life that I'm in love with look like? I don't want to be in love with a person. I want to be in love with my life. And then whoever that person is, he'll find me once I figure out how to be in love with my own life. Wow, that's that's great. I mean, that that goes along with uh, what uh, your PT person was saying too. You know, it's like you are, you define yourself first. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then the rest hopefully will follow. You've had to, uh, I don't want to say downsize, you've had to simplify your life, you know, this last year, basically, yeah. right? And it seems that, you know, I read your blog a couple of days ago after you had posted it and stuff, and very insightful to a lot of things that people I think should do. Um, and you seem to have uh, done it without remorse, which I think is great. Yeah. Not without challenges, but without remorse. So what are, what are some of the challenges that you faced? I mean, basically, you went from a different living, one uh, situation of living to a less complicated situation? Yeah, definitely less complicated. Um, I think the biggest challenge is just life on the mainland, and especially on the East Coast. I lived in the 
I lived in New York and then I lived outside of Boston. Um, what you're told in those communities um, that you should value uh, and you should pour your life into is so different from what we value uh, primarily um, what we value in Hawaii and on the big islands. Um, and even though I knew from coming here year after year after year, that's what I'm after. Those are the people that I, um, I, I relate to this way of living, this whole idea of Aloha really resonated with me. And that was, I, I, I was like, that's where I'm headed. That's how I want to live. That's who I want to be. But like growing up for, it was 40 years on the mainland. That's really hard to undo those habits and those ways of thinking. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, um, the direction, was there one thing that directed you towards that or was there like, or, one um, what, like the whole idea of minimal minimalism or the whole, um, like live aloha kind of, well, well, your personal change in direction and stuff. Was it meeting Patrick is what changed it or no, I was already, I think that's why Patrick and I connected is cause I had already started as much as possible, I had made that change. Um, no, I, it was coming here and then hanging out with people like Bree and Kavika yeah. and then going back to my life on the mainland and feeling like I couldn't relate to feeling like, wow, why, how was I so much happier when all I had was a, like a little suitcase, a backpack and my like swim goggles and my running shoes. And I was in and, and my laptop for writing and I was so much happier. And then I would go back to the mainland and I had this big house full of stuff, three bikes just for me, wow. um, and like had the, an RVs that we could like live in on the weekends so that we could like for races, huge RV was what um, we would take to races. I had all these, like I had a job where I made money and had all this stuff. And I was like, I'm not happy, like being a, I kind of felt like I was a slave to all that stuff. And I, and I was very discontent. And I, so I had this like A and B, like which, like which situation is Sarah, like feel most alive and started like donating bags of things to consignment shops. Yeah. Um, yeah. Started Google searching like minimalism, re watching TED Talks on it. And I was like, because it, at that point, it was not an option to move to Hawaii because I was married to someone who had a business yeah. in, in upstate New York. So I was like, I can't move to Hawaii. So what, else, what can I do, though, to kind of pare down things and simplify my life? Um, and I really felt like an, I was like this rebel, not trying to be like, people really didn't get it. Oh, so the, 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 your, the friends and family back there kind of going, what's up with Sarah? Yeah. 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 It was definitely like a foreign concept to a lot of people. Um, but it was, I was like, well, that's, that's who I need to be to live with myself. And I was like, if, People, if I lose relationships, which I did, over making these life changes and deciding 
these are the, these five things matter to me. And those 200 other things don't, I was like, then they're not supposed to be part of my life. And more people left, uh, than I anticipated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Funny how that works sometimes. Yeah. Um, but like for the better, I think, but then also I've made room for all these people to come into my life who I, who do understand where I'm coming from. Well, and, and I think, I think you made the right decision and stuff, but uh, it sounds like I think that people know anybody who knows you know and love this Sarah. Probably, probably might not have loved the other Sarah. No, no, she was intense. And, uh, and you're not intense. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, no intense. Like I would have said to you, honestly, I would have said, I can't do, um, that I can't be on your podcast because I have to train. And if I'm not not training, I'm taking a nap or I'm like cleaning my bike or so I'm I'm really, so that kind of intense. So I didn't like that, Sarah. (laughs) What's, what's your situation now as far as what you think, uh, you know, what you want to do in the future? Do you want to, do you want your writing to go in a certain direction or don't you know, or, uh, I mean, I do, I do. And, um, I, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes. It was really pretty close to where I wanted it to be. Um, before this whole COVID-19 thing happened, that has definitely set me back um, and, but now I saw like, okay, I was almost there. Um, and now that like, I have the confidence to know, like I can get back to, I can get back there, but, um, there's, well, like for instance, um, I was writing for Kaola magazine, still am, um, and Wasabi, um, and was in the middle of articles for that moment. They just said, we are putting the next issue on hold, um, Therefore, the articles I was working on are on hold because advertisers are pulling out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, and then I have uh, clients that I write for. Um, I write for my friend Kayton, who um, he has a, a company called KMV Digital, but then he is also launching a brand of low FODMAP spices and uh, chicken stock oh. after finding out that he... Um, FODMAPs are a small chain carbohydrate and he found out the very hard way that he's intolerant of them. Once he found that out, found out there are not a lot of products for people on who are FODMAP intolerant on the market. So he was going to, he was going to make it. He's making the products. Um, and I'm helping him with his website, his, um, he, he has a FODMAP eating guide that I'm helping him with. Um, and then I also write for, um, I kind of do like the website, the blogs, the social media for change the game performance therapy. And that's Dr. Ryan, who's helping me with my head. Um, and I, it's, it, it's not actually with this whole COVID-19 thing, it's, I, it's been a blessing that I have this balance of like your traditional magazine writer. Uh, with these articles in print and then the non-traditional, which when I was an English major and you, if you had told me, Oh, someday you're going to get paid to 
write landing pages and product descriptions and blogs. That wasn't even a thing then. Yeah. Um, but if I didn't have that to do, I would, I would be in trouble right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because those are the only things that are still up and running. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's challenging for a lot of people, but I think it's also the opportunity, you know, through uh, the impetus of finances for yeah. people to get creative. Yeah. To actually think about stuff and think about what they want to do and think about how they want to do it and go into those areas that maybe they didn't have the courage before, but now. What do you have to lose? Now everybody's kind of like, well, I have nothing to lose, so why not try? Yeah, um, I like where I, again, the magazines are on hold. I don't think that it's going to, I don't think it's going to be like the magazines are going to fold because of this. But it might be a while before they publish something again. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I look forward to getting back to that point where I can, um, I can write for the magazines because that gets me out in the community. I get to go interview these really cool people all over the island um, and get to even like kind of walk in their shoes. I got to spend a day with uh, the manager of a forest preserve putting up fence to keep feral pigs out. Like, wow. so there's, I, I, I want that to be a part of my life as a writer. But then I also, again, appreciate more now than ever that I do have digital clients and everything they need from me is for their website or social media. Yeah. It's a good balance. It makes me a well-rounded writer. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see if anybody needs help with their website. I have some free time because there's no magazines getting published. How can, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, so the best way to get a hold of me is my website. Um, my email is there on my website and it's just sarahstover.com. And it's Sarah, S-A-R-A, that's a four letter word. <laughs> so sarahstover.com, best way to see samples of my writing, best way to get in touch with me. And if you have questions about running, I always remind people that's still a huge part of my life. Um, I'm always there to talk to people about triathlon, trail running, um, and, and, and I'm on the other side of it. So if you want to talk to me, you still coaching? Um, no, I'm not coaching anymore. Um, cross country will start back up, I guess in August. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, I loved working with those kids. Uh, yeah, if I go back to coaching, it would be in that capacity, working with the cross-country kids. Thank you, Mahalo, for so much of your time today, Sarah. I really- Thank you. Yeah, I was gonna say, I have to go pick up Patrick now. <laughs> I do. We don't know this Patrick guy and stuff. Well, say, say hi for me. And again, thanks you. Thanks so much for you know giving, giving me the time, giving the people who are viewing the time you know, to experience a little bit of your world. We still have some more interviews that we'll probably follow up, certainly. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, I'm going to go up to, this, to the digital world up here on the top. And like I warned you, digitally, I'm going to remove, remove you. But okay. Delay. okay. Bye, Nora. Aloha. <laughs> Aloha. That was just wonderful to have that. Uh, gosh, I guess we've been at it for an hour and a half and stuff here.
But again, thanks to Sarah Stover. And she just uh, mentioned that her website is sarahstover.com. So it's S-A-R-A-S-T-O-V-E-R.com. And go visit her website. You can read uh, her, a lot of her writings and at least get to the beginning point where you can uh, get a hold of her and stuff and experience you know, her writings and stuff. I have to thank, of course, uh, Tailwind. You see Tailwind over here for making me a, a Tailwind uh, Trailblazer this year. So I've gotten some, uh, a lot of product, actually. I still have plenty of stuff that I've gotten. And the, the Rebuild, especially right here, the Rebuild, I've been using that as I've been as active as I've been lately. But my plug for my site would be if you search on iTunes, or uh, uh, on YouTube, you can search for uh, Big Island Hawaii Ultra, and you'll find uh, both the audio versions and the uh, video versions of uh, our little podcast here. And you can subscribe. Uh, and if I do things correctly, uh, you can subscribe up on the, let's bring it in here, up here. That's subscribe up here. This up here will actually show you the next video or one of the past videos and stuff. But you can also help us out by going to our website at uh, Patreon. So it's www.patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Hawaii Ultra. And if you could donate a cup of coffee an episode or two cups of coffee or whatever you can, would certainly be appreciated in these uh, challenging times. And you can always email me uh, personally, no problem with that, is at joe at joefireball.com. And uh, I'll explain in a, another episode about the fireball thing that I got uh, kind of tagged on to me. But uh, you can email me there. And you can also go to the, directly to the website, which is www.hawaiiultra.com. And I uh, hope everybody's having a good Saturday, Easter weekend. I hope you're staying safe. You're staying inside as much as you can, but still getting out and being healthy. Aloha. <laughs>